Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you in our house. It's great to have you in a watch group, and it's great to have you online joining us this Sunday as we gather in the Word. Isn't there, aren't those testimonies just great? Um, I, I hope you appreciate watching them each week and um, enjoying uh, not only hearing what God is doing, but how God is changing lives and, and, and bringing people to a, not only a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but a point in their life where they say, I want to share my testimony and I want to let the world know that uh, I'm a child of God. So cool, and uh, it's great to see those. Hey, we're in the middle of our Pioneer series. In fact, we're a couple weeks in now. We're gonna jump into chapter two of Acts and study that together. I trust you're enjoying this kind of look at the apostles and, and learning about them a little bit, kind of getting to know their personalities and their idiosyncrasies and things like that as we walk through this book. Um, because we want to be pioneers. And so uh, we've been talking about this pioneer concept as, as a, a person who basically says to Jesus, whatever, whenever, and however, Lord, I'm in. What do you got for me? And, and we really thought that that would be a great mentality to have in a time period where we're being asked to sacrifice some of our comforts. Maybe we're losing some of our comforts. Where, where we feel like things are being infringed upon, whether we feel like we're being manipulated or lied to or coerced or confronted. We have a lot of different things going on in our society and how do we pioneer this new territory, this, this new time period of life? And, uh, and so we wanna take our cues from scripture and Sundays is our chance to gather together, open the word of God, sit back and relax for a little bit. There's gonna be no breaking news or media alerts unless you left your phone on. And we're going to spend some time in the Word of God and growing in that. Hey, each week I want to start with a pioneer. So this week's pioneer is going to be a pitcher for the Dodgers, okay, uh, back in the 1900s, in the 1990-something. Um, any of you recognize that face? He was a young pitcher who uh, came into the Dodgers organization. And what they were finding um, is that he was struggling to confront hitters. And uh, what some would say in the baseball world, he was spending a lot of time nibbling, okay, at the corners, not challenging. In fact, um, the more you study pitching and the art of pitching, and that's very close to me in my home, um, I'll get texts from my son who will say, he's, doesn't, he's not going to put him away, Dad. You can see in the way he's approaching this at bat, just by the way the pitcher's handling it. Well, Oral was really struggling with confrontation on the mound, things like that, and the, and the coach basically called him in. His coach's name was Tommy Lasorda. And he basically called him in, and for lack of a better term, called him a pansy, okay? And he needs to get tough. I can't tell you coach speak because I don't think it's allowed on a stage, okay? Um, but he's basically saying it's time to toughen up. It's time for you to attack. It's time for you to be uh, more aggressive. And uh, he had to change his mentality. And so um, the story has it that he began to call him Bulldog. You're now going to be Bulldog, not Oral, not, not whatever, Bulldog, okay? And uh, you're going to be my Bulldog, and we're going to win a World Series. Well, he kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Have you ever heard of that? Tommy Lasorda spoke this into his life. Um, Oral really took on this mentality. And uh, before you know it, he was a World Series champion. Hall of Famer, and there's a picture of him hugging his coach um, that was there for him and spoke into his life in a time period when he was struggling with his own identity, a coach gave him his identity and said, this is what I'm going to demand of you and this is what I'm going to expect of you. 
and he called him Bulldog. And that pitcher is Oral Hershiser, and that coach is Tommy Lasorda. And, and you have a relationship dynamic where a pitcher said, whatever, I'll do it. I'll sacrifice, I'll go at it, wherever. Um, I'm in, let's go, coach. However, I'll do it that way, let's do it. And he embraced this mentality and became one of the most competitive guys on the mound, they say, that you've seen in a Dodger uniform. You know, I was thinking of this moment in my own life, and um, I can think to certain people who intersected in my life at strategic moments where I needed them to. Do you have anybody like that? Um, I, I, I'm going to call this the game changer dynamic, where someone in a moment when you were struggling, in a moment where you were kind of derailed, in a moment where your life kind of hung in the balance of which way you would go. Maybe you were a teenage girl and you were making some decisions and someone intersected in that moment. Maybe you're a young guy and you were, you've been living a certain way and someone spoke into that. Game-changing moments where God used somebody to come into your life and alter the course forever. You know, um, in sports, they call it the turning point of the game. In fact, I'll watch some sports sometimes and say, the Dodge turning point of the game was this moment. The game totally changed at that moment, and the course of the game, all going that way, turned and went towards that way at that moment. I've had game-changing moments in my life, and I've had game-changing people come into my life. I think specifically of a time where I was about 17, really struggling with a rebellious spirit towards my parents and towards all authority. My parents had been praying that a game changer, basically, would come into my life. And there was a man, he was about 25, 24, 25. All of a sudden, what he would do is he'd stay after church, which I never wanted to come to church, but if I knew I was gonna hang out with him, I'd come. My parents figured this out, they leveraged the relationship and everything but we'd go out for basketball or he'd take me to McDonald's or something. And he just spoke into my life when my dad's voice or my mom's voice has kind of gone muffled. He spoke into my life. He was a game changer for me. And he would speak uh, truth into my life that, that I can always look back and go, man, I don't know where I'd be without that guy investing into me. Game changers do this. They seem to believe in you more than you even believe in yourself. Do you have that kind of person in your life? Man, they almost believe in me more than I even believe in me. I had a mentor in ministry that did that. Chris, Chris, one day? Chris, one day? No, no, yeah, one day. We're gonna get you ready for it. We're gonna prepare you for it. I don't know if I want you to prepare me for it. We're gonna get you ready. We're gonna get you prepared. Can I say this? Do you have a game changer in your life? Can you think of somebody? Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was your mom. Maybe it was um, a friend. I don't care how old you are. Maybe it was, maybe, maybe you're a senior saint and it was your adult son who turned into a game changer for you. Somebody's come in and it gave you help when you needed it. I don't care what the age is or whatever, but do you have somebody in your life when your chips were down, when you were struggling, they came up and they spoke into your life, they poured into your life and they gave into your life and they literally, in some ways, God used them to alter the course of your life? Do you have anybody like that? Are you like that for anybody else? I mean, who are you pouring into except for the person on the other side of the phone? Do you think your life is literally just to do what you wanna do? What if God's calling you to be someone else's game changer? I don't know what I could do for the Lord. When's the last time you took a young guy out to breakfast 
68-year-old retired guy? When's the last time, ladies, you called a mom and said, hey, I know life's hard. Is there anything I could do for you? Hey, younger people, when's the last time you reached out to a senior and said, hey, how are things going right now? I know it's a lonely season of life. Older brother, when's the last time you said, hey, maybe you're an 18-year-old older brother, and when's the last time you said to your 11-year-old little brother, hey, you wanna go get ice cream? Really, you talk to me? When's the last time? What if God's calling you to be a game changer? Is God in the business of game changing? I believe he is. Jesus specifically worked with 12 guys. And these 12 guys were his witnesses. Peter, the influential leader. You had James, the passionate fighter. Call down fire from heaven on these Samaritans. John, the man of conviction, black or white. You either love God or you hate him. You have Andrew, the servant leader, continually bringing people to Jesus, but never needing a spotlight. Yeah, Philip, Jesus had a details guy. He had a details guy in the room. Um, Bartholomew or Nathaniel, the scholar. There's always a mind in the room, an active mind, okay? Um, I had a professor who said, there's certain ones of you, your minds are just awake, okay? Um, There are people, their minds just seem to be more awake than mine anyway. Um, Matthew, the recovering rebel. He's got a checkered past. He betrayed his own people, but Jesus called him, and now he's like an evangelist in the the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew's just this guy who got a checkered past. He wants to see people come to Jesus. Thomas, that faithful follower, so sad when Jesus was gone, he needed to see the holes in his hands before he could believe. James of Alphaeus, the obscure one, only listed. We never hear him say anything in scripture, but Jesus listed his name. Thaddeus, that young guy, I think, I I just mentally think of him as young. We don't know that, so I shouldn't say that, but definitely a hype guy. Jesus, show yourself. Simon, oh, the zealot. He was the activist. He wanted the Jews to overthrow Rome, completely involved in political activity at all times. And then Matthias, we got last week as the replacement came in. Jesus invested into these 12. He was their game changer. He called them. He said, follow me. And they did. And they set a course of history that would change the world forever. But out of all these right here, there was a bulldog. More of a bull in a china shop. Moms, any of you have to raise a bull in a china shop? You got one, okay? Or you had one, now they're 35 and still a bull in a china shop? You're just like, oh please, don't break everything, okay? My wife said of one of our boys, she, she was in tears one night, just overwhelmed with life, and she said, are they ever gonna stop running? Just, just stop running, that's all, as they ran across the top of the couch, you know? Jesus had kind of a, a bulldog, and his name was Simon. Simon Barjona. He was influential, he's a man of influence, he's always listed first, the apostle listed first. He was a man of aggressiveness. He was a very aggressive guy, emotional. He's the one jumping out, running on water. He's the one cutting off ears when Jesus was attacked. He was a man of aggression. He was a man of resolution. If all leave you, I never will, Lord. In fact, one time Jesus said, I'm gonna have to leave. And Simon called him aside and said, Jesus, can we talk alone privately? He said, yeah, um, you can't do that. And Jesus turned to him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Hello. But he was a man of... Volatility. Simon could get really high and he could get really low. Have you ever noticed about passionate people? They can be super pumped up, super excited, everything's awesome, and the next day they're like so defeated, you wonder if they're in a state of depression. Emotional people could be like that. 
Maybe you raised one. Maybe you're living with one. But volatile. Their emotions are everywhere. In fact, scripture would call this kind of person where their emotions bounce all over the place, um, sometimes double-minded or even like a, a wind that, or the waves just push them back and forth and they're all over the place. And Jesus had plans for Simon Barjona. He had plans for him and the current Simon wasn't gonna do. He needed to change. And so Jesus stepped into his life and specifically there's an account of him asking a question of the disciples where Jesus basically has this Tommy Lasorda moment with him and takes him from Simon to a new name. Here it is. Jesus goes to the guys, hey guys, who do people say the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say you're like Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus stops him and he says, but who do you say I am? I know what they think. What do, what do you guys say? And of course, Simon, <clears throat> I got this one. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. What a statement. Understand, he doesn't have the whole New Testament rolled out for him. You are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is so pumped up. Peter said this. He goes, I don't. He goes blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you. That is the right answer. I mean, talk about getting the answer right and your teacher getting excited. Oh, oh, two plus two, uh, four. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus has a, that's what I'm talking about. Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You're a chosen one of me. He goes, and I tell you, I tell you this, Peter. You are Peter. And on this rock, or I tell you, Simon, excuse me, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Your name's Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter, Petros, rock. I'm going to build my church. We get introduced to this word, ecclesia. Ecclesia, we're going to talk about this more in the book of Acts. Is a Greek word for the word assembly, okay? It's an assembly, or, or better put, called out ones, okay? I want you to note something in a time period where people are talking about things being open, closed, or this or that. Just, I'm not gonna jump on this hobby horse too long or I'll get agitated, but this isn't what he said. And I tell you, Peter, and oh, on this rock, I will build my one-hour worship service with like three songs, and then we'll have a pastor pray, and then there'll be like 45 minutes of preaching, and then you all go home. It's not what he said. He said, I'm gonna build my church. Church isn't something we go to. Church is something we are. We're the body of Christ. When we gather together, regardless of what facility you're in, trust me, this place is horrifically boring without you in it, Okay? If you're at home or you haven't been here a little bit, you'll notice the facility, we're still reaching, teaching, and loving the Lord Jesus and gathering together, even in small groups and things like that, where we can. He built his church, the ecclesia, and the gates of hell aren't gonna stand against that. Ah, there might be alterations to the organizational church or the local church at times, but the gates of hell will not stand against the church, and I'm gonna build this on you, Peter. I'm gonna use you on, on, on me, Simon. No, I'm gonna call you Peter. I'm just Simon Barjona. I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to make you a rock. And what's a rock? Rocks are steadfast. Simon was double-minded. He's all over the place, high, low, jumping in water, falling in water. I'm going to make you a rock. I'm going to make you stable. I'm going to lock you in. I'm going to build my church right off the foundation that will be not only your teaching and your leading, 
but on this message you just said, I am the Christ. Man. But we're not Peter's, right? I mean, Peter's awesome. I mean, Peter is a game changer. I mean, yeah, Jesus, man, he called Peter. Peter's awesome. But, but I think of a situation where Peter's life hung in the balance. And Jesus intersected with it. Do you remember that night when, G when, when Peter betrayed Jesus? Peter. I mean, Peter betrayed Jesus. It, it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Let me read it to you. Then they seized him and led him away, speaking of Jesus. Bringing him into a high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. You ever sit around a charcoal fire? I encourage you to do it tonight. Make a charcoal fire. Oh my word, that smell is so good, right? Smells like fall, right? Peter sits down by a charcoal fire. They've led Jesus away. And here's what happens at that fire. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, a little girl sitting across the fire, she saw him as, she, as he sat in the light. She could see him through the light. And looking closely at him, she said, this man also was with him. But Peter denied it. Woman, I do not know him. Really, Peter? You don't know him? And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted. An hour's gone by. He's had enough time to think about the first two denials. Here comes a third. Certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Do you remember what happens next? It's eerie, it's scary, and if you've ever been caught doing something and someone stared at you, you'll feel this. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. No, I don't know him. Jesus makes eye contact with him. If you ever seen your dad disappointed with you, take it up 10 times. Wow. There's no way Peter cannot picture that the rest of his life. And you remember what Jesus said, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept, how? Bitterly. Bitterly. I mean, this is Peter, I'm gonna build my church on you. I'm going to use your message. The gospel, Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. We're going to build this church. And he has just denied him three times. And he's out weeping like a defeated child who's betrayed the one they love. His life weighs in the balance. I mean, doesn't the church weigh in the balance? Peter denied Christ three times? What's Jesus gonna do? This was his guy. This was his bulldog. 
And he's turned on him. There's an account in the Gospel of John. I want you to note a couple things about it. When Jesus saw, this is a very interesting note. When Jesus saw Peter behaving the way he wanted to him, he would call him by Peter. When he saw him behaving in ways that weren't what he desired for him, he'd actually call him Simon. So if Peter hears, hey, Simon, oh, shoot. <laughs> for me, it was Christopher. Oh, yeah, okay. Jesus failed. Anybody ever fail? Anybody ever fail? I failed. Anybody ever fail? Excuse me. Peter failed. Peter failed. What's Jesus going to do? It's in John. Do you know that they say is the greatest reminder of the past? What sense? It's not hearing, which I thought it was. Like, I hear an old song from high school, and I'm immediately 16 in my car. Like, what's up? I got cool hair again, all that stuff. They say it's the sense of smell. A few years back, I went to go into Penridge and walked in. I was preaching at a, speaking for the uh, football team uh, chapel right before a game. And I came walking in, I went, I smelled it. Oh, I was 15 again. The stresses of life hit me again. I mean, that smell was so, so there. I want you to note something. It's in the Gospel of John. Jesus has now been resurrected. He's appeared one to him time, but he appears again to him. But he's got something to do with Peter. It's in chapter 21, it says this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, okay, so telling you who they're, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were there. That's probably James of Alphaeus, you know, the guy who never gets mentioned. Two others, okay. Simon Peter, he, he's, Jesus is gone. What do I do with life? I've got no direction. He's frustrated. He goes back to what he's used to doing. You ever do that? You get frustrated and you just go back to bad habits? I mean, Peter was gonna be a fisher of men and you know what he does? He goes, and Simon Peter said to them, verse three, I am going fishing. I'm going back fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. Peter was that guy. He didn't ask everybody what you wanted to do. He just said, I'm doing this and everybody, oh, let's go follow Peter. They went out and got in a boat, but night caught nothing. They caught nothing all night. And just as day was breaking, Jesus came to the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, hey children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat. You're gonna find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the great quantity of fish. And then that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's always referring to John, Therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Peter just loves jumping in water. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, and for, they were far, not far away from him, from land, but, but, but about 100 yards off. So we got Peter running a football field to Jesus, which, quick note, when you fail someone, aren't you afraid to go back into their presence? How awesome is Jesus that you can fail him and still run to him? You just think about that grace for a minute. How many of us, if our kids fail us, it's like, I'm afraid to talk to dad, he's gonna kill me. Peter's running to Jesus. When they got out on land, Jesus had prepared something. Where was Peter when he denied Christ three times? By a charcoal fire. Peter's out fishing, not doing what he was called to do. 
And what does Jesus prepare? When they got out on land, they saw the charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 all of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now one of the disciples, not one of them dared ask Jesus, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. This was one of those awkward breakfasts. It's so him. I know it's him. It's so him. There's still work to do with Jesus and Peter, though. There's still work. There's tension in the relationship. There's still work. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said, Simon Peter, what do you think he calls him? Here it is, ready? Simon, son of John. Not Peter. Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these fish here? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him a second time. Oh, excuse me. Do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John. Not Peter. Do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep then, Peter. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John. Jesus, you really had to ask him three times by a fire of charcoal? Yeah, three rejections, three restorations. Do you love me, Peter? Jesus, you know I love you, he says. He says, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. There's a church to build, Peter, and we're not gonna do it out in the ocean. We're gonna make fishers of men. You're forgiven. Let's go. A game-changing moment for the rock Peter that would alter his life forever and will serve as the backdrop for Acts chapter two, our verses today, where a game changer's coming. And somebody's gonna need to step up when the whole story weighs in the balance. And who, which apostle do you think will step up when the moment comes? I'll tell you, the apostle that Jesus invested in and believed in more than he believed in himself. And we're gonna get to see a game-changing moment, not only by Christ, but by in Peter's life that would start the very reason you and I are gathered here today. Heavenly Father, use this text as we look into the game changer you're about to send to inspire us to be game changers for someone else, to inspire us to be thankful for the game changers in our life, but more importantly, to be thankful and so appreciative of the game changer you gave us in the Holy Spirit. May we walk out of here today inspired to step into another's life and see more in them than they even see in themselves. And may we follow your example, Jesus, of coaching these guys up so they're ready for the moments when it's time to deliver. Amen. When the day of Pentecost, we've been waiting 10 days, right, church? Arrived, they were gathered in one place. Disciples are all together. They were told to wait. The Holy Spirit's coming. The promise is coming. And so they're gathered at Pentecost. Do you know what that word means? 
Have you said that word before? You're like, what, what is Pentecost? Pentecost in the Greek is translated 50th, okay? 50th, all right? What is 50th? It's the 50th day after Passover, okay? And they celebrated a feast on that day where they brought the first fruits of the harvest. Keep in mind of the symbolism of this. There's going to be a first fruit of the spiritual harvest about to begin with the beginning of the church. Jesus misses nothing. They're gathered together at Pentecost. And what's interesting about Pentecost is not only the Jews gathered, but this is the one feast where many of the Gentiles gather too. It's almost like everybody from all these foreign lands are gathered in one place. And then it happens. Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Here's what scripture tells us. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it began to fill the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire came pouring down and appeared them and rested on each one of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance and now there were in Jerusalem there were others dwelling with them from every nation under heaven and at the sound of the multitude they came together they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Paphelia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and they were perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Did you think I was gonna let that go the whole sermon? What does this mean? What just happened? See, I really believe there's an aspect to hermeneutics, which is the study of scripture, that separates some Bible readers from others. And here it is. Get into the story. Young people, you wanna make the Bible exciting? Get in it. Feel it. This was a powerful moment. My nanny, or my wife's nanny, lives in Mississippi. We had to call her after a tornado went over her house a couple years back. She's in her late 80s, getting close to, she might be even 90 now. And we say, nanny, nothing could take you down. That's right. Went right over her house. Sounds like trains going by. Took off the roof of their house. Powerful, powerful wind. This massive moment happens at Pentecost, and I wrote down in my notes five things I noticed occurred that, that are worth discussing for just a few minutes. One, the disciples were gathered in one place. Go back, we're gonna go through them here. Second, wind and fire. This is a powerful moment. Third, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's an interesting term. Four, they were speaking in tongues. What's that? And then five, every nation is gathered together. And so I wrote these down. I think they're worth discussing for just a minute. Okay, I got, I got to pass through it. We can't dive into each subject. But let's kind of take one of these at one at a time here. The disciples are gathered in one place. So I see submission, patience, and expectation. 
They submitted and obeyed the command to stay in Jerusalem. They showed patience waiting for 10 days, and they were there with expectation that when this comes, the launch of the Great Commission will go, and we'll go therefore into all the world, and we'll preach the gospel. The disciples get to see God move when they choose the path of humility, submission, and waiting. Second, wind and fire. It's a powerful event. Scripture says it was like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It, there was a powerful presence there because tongues of fire came down and fire always symbolizes God's presence, especially in the Old Testament. But it's also a powerful visual. It says fire came down and then the fire separated and went to each one of the apostles and, and, and rested over them or abode over them. It's a beautiful visual or illustration of the Holy Spirit not only descending, but going to each individual believer in the room specifically. What a powerful visual. God works powerfully when his kids humbly submit to him. But then I see a third thing. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, this is a new course. This is a new method. See, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, he would come and go. He would come upon people and he would leave people. That's why David cried, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You shouldn't ever cry that, New Testament believer, because he came to stay. This is a new ministry where the Holy Spirit was coming to be the helper. In fact, the word is paraclete. He becomes to help God's kids. And this is the beginning of a new empowerment. The Holy Spirit was coming to gift individual believers. This is a new path. This is a new ministry. This is a new empowerment. They're being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, now it's interesting. Sometimes I get like college kids, they go off to college and they experience different aspects of faith, okay? And I'm not gonna get real dogmatic here today. I'm just gonna give you some teaching points and some thinking points, okay? And I'll get texts like, hey, Pastor Chris, do we do the Holy, Holy Spirit thing at church? I'm like, the Holy Spirit thing, okay, what are you experiencing? Okay, like, this going on, this going on? They're kind of like, what's going on with that? So you're only gonna care about this if you actually care about this. But just for a second, let's make sure we don't confuse being filled with the Spirit as being baptized with the Spirit. Scripture separates the two, okay? Being baptized by the Spirit happens to all believers at the moment of salvation. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Doesn't really speak of a second baptism or getting other baptisms or ever asking for a baptism. In fact, believers are never told to seek more baptisms of the Holy Spirit. Um, it occurs once out salvation. Ephesians 4 or 5, talking about spirit baptism, says one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So baptism seems to be a one time, these are our talking points, a one time event in your life at the moment of salvation where you receive the Holy Spirit and he stays with you how long? Does he come and go? No, he stays with you. Why? Because he's a seal. If you, if you invent something and you put a patent on it, all right, that patent stays with it and seals it, that that is patented. Well, you're patented, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing you can snatch away from God because you got sealed. The envelope is sealed. It's his. And, and that's why we're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So it's permanent. I don't have to worry about that. But you can also be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's something believers are told to do. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's for all believers too. Well, how do I be filled with the Spirit? Well, to yield to the Spirit is to experience often the filling of the Spirit or to go towards the filling of the Spirit because to not be filled with the Spirit means we're quenching the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says. So the idea here is to yield to God to be, and, and ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, if you go to a traffic circle in, in, in like, say, Quakertown, 
and you yield to the cards inside. That's what you're supposed to do, I think, okay? Um, you yield to them. You're saying you go first. When believers say, Jesus, you go first. Holy Spirit, you go first. We're yielding to him. And then what happens is sin that entangles us doesn't prevent the, the fruit of the Spirit shining through us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And we're given the Holy Spirit to be our helper. And we'll talk about that more as we move forward in the series. Okay, so there's a baptism, a one-time event, and then there's the filling of the Spirit, which occurs as we yield ourselves to Christ. So they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and now we as New Testament believers can be baptized by the Holy Spirit as well at the moment of salvation and experience his empowerment just like the apostles did. But there's certain things that happen for the apostles that don't necessarily happen today, it seems to indicate. Scripture says they were speaking in tongues, okay? This was the next thing. What's this? Well, the nation said, we hear in our known language. So it was a language. They're speaking Hebrew, but they're hearing it in maybe Latin, for example, English, um, Aramaic, whatever the language was that their native language was, they heard and understood. It was something they could understand. They were speaking these tongues. Well, it was clear understanding. They heard in their native language with a specific ability. Each one of the disciples was speaking something, and it was being heard. And so we have this speaking in, in, in tongues. What's that going on? And, and some people say, is that still for today? I mean, I, I see this going on. I see that going on. Okay, where, where are we at with that? Well, I want to give you a couple of my thinking points, okay, as to where not only are church leans on the subject, but just kind of where we sit in some of our thinking points. And then we'll give you to you, despite what you believe about this current subject, because there's really godly people that believe different things on this subject. But I'll give you a couple talking points to help me think through this. I am a cessationist, which I believe the gift of tongues has become deceased, but I'm not gonna tell God to be in a box. He can do what he wants, okay? But here's some of the reasons we kind of lean that way. Tongues usage was unique. They were, it was a unique gift given to the apostles, okay, as an authenticating sign of their ministry. The, the apostles were able to speak in a different language that they had not learned, being Galileans and uneducated men, and people could understand it. Hey, he's speaking my language. Tongue's importance waned, okay? Throughout scripture, the gift, um, they were a gift that seemed to cease to be listed in the latest epistles. So they're listed in the earliest epistles, but as the epistles go through time, they're not listed anymore in the same listings. So it seems that they have ceased, but tongues was also, purpose was specific. They were assigned to unbelieving Israel that God's salvation is for other nations. When you get off the purpose of why tongues were given, you get into other purposes. And the purpose for tongues was to be a sign for unbelieving Israel that God's salvation now is for even the Gentiles. They can hear God's salvation. Tongues is a gift that ceases. Scripture says the gift of tongues will cease. In fact, Paul says that. And if the gift of tongues hasn't ceased, why do missionaries have to go to language school? I mean, if God called missionaries to go to foreign nations, wouldn't you think he'd give them the ability to speak in that tongue from time to time um, because they would need that? I'm not saying God can't do that if he wanted to in specific situations, but that's a pretty big indicator that we can kind of see it in practice. And then fifth, tongues have been redefined. Oftentimes, the way you see tongues done, don't follow the guidelines of scripture at all. I'm not saying that might be the practice that you've experienced, but the practices I've experienced, they're not really following scripture at all. What does scripture say about the usage of tongues? 
Let's say you walk into a room and people say, we're speaking in tongues. Well, just ask yourself these talking points, okay? One, is it being done for edification? Let all things be done for edification, or is it being done to say, I have this gift and you don't? Is it two or at most three? Because that's what Paul says. It should be two at the most three. We shouldn't have a room of 1,000 people doing this. Is it each in one turn? Paul says you should each take a turn. Just ask yourself if you're seeing that, okay? Also ask yourself, is anyone interpreting it? There must be an interpreter, not might, maybe, should be. There must be an interpreter there saying, this is what they just said. Or remain silent. And then finally, is it understandable? For the tongues in scripture were intelligible language known in an understandable way. They could hear the language being spoken. It wasn't supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. It was something understandable, okay? And, and so I would encourage you to think through that. I, I say to people who struggle with the sign gifts, especially I'll have from time to time um, the sign gifts given in Acts and say, hey, Chris, what about this, what about this? I said, okay, you know, I, I've been called before. Hey, Chris, could you heal someone? Okay, I, I see people, preachers are healing and doing things like this. I said this, if there's really that gift of healing, okay, I don't know what God or Bible I didn't get that they got, okay, but let's just say there is. Why aren't they at Grandview Hospital in St. Luke's instead of on a TV station? I mean, that's where, I mean, I'm going to visit people in the hospital all the time. I mean, I would think if I had that, I would go do that. And so I want you to think through some of these things as you watch this, okay? Be on guard, church, and be able to ask yourself these questions about what you're witnessing with whether you're saying, that's wrong or right. That's not the point. Have talking points so you can discern what you believe. And these are my talking points, and um, I'm not here to bash anybody's beliefs on those subjects, but that's kind of where I stand. And so I see that that's happening at this specific time, and we'll talk about the sign gifts as we go through the book of Acts. But I also want you to see this point here, and this was the fifth one. Every nation was together. God is doing a universal work and a unifying work, and you're seeing the coming of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the church. So at Pentecost, all of you now hopefully at least have this in your head, okay? Okay. It's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, the outpouring of the Spirit. There's an empowerment of the apostles. Jesus promised to send them a helper, and that was the Holy Spirit. And it's the commencement of the church. I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Have you ever called on the name of the Lord? Have you ever had a time in your life where God changed your game? You were living for yourself. You were living a way that you knew wasn't right. You were purposely rebelling. You were hurt and wounded, and so you were lashing out. And God changed the game. The moment you call upon the name of the Lord, you receive, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's why some of you who got saved at a later age went from not being able to understand scripture to being able to understand scripture. The Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to illuminate scripture and help you understand it. Have you ever experienced that? Sitting at home in a watch group? Have you ever called on the name of the Lord and have been saved? Scripture's clear, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord, you can be saved. You can have that Pentecost moment where, where the Holy Spirit comes into your life. You become a child of God and you live for him. He changes the game, and what you thought you were capable of is no longer true because now what you're capable of is what he is capable of through you. 
Do you know what happened when they saw all this happening? All these apostles speaking in known languages? There were two reactions. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to another, what does this mean? But there was another reaction. There were people making fun of the apostles. <laughs> They're filled with the new wine. They're just a bunch of drunk guys. <laughs> Everything hangs in the balance. The church is being commenced. God is sending his Holy Spirit. The church is about to be advanced. And you have people going, what does this mean? And you have people going, this is a complete joke. And I believe life's still hanging in the balance. Who's going to step in and be that game changer that says, this is no joke. This is God. Who do you think will step up? I mean, this is the moment. This is the defining moment. This is the game changing moment, if you will. There was a rock. There was a man named Simon. And Jesus said, you're going to be Peter. And this is what happened. But Peter, standing with the 11, that's a cool image. Peter steps up. Everybody's making fun of the apostles, or they're going, what's going on? And the 11 stand behind him. I love this. But Peter, standing with 11, lifted up his voice. This ain't no, this ain't no running fisherman anymore. This uneducated man from Galilee, all of a sudden, he turned into a preacher. And how do you think he started his sermon? Just like his hero did Jesus. And he said, listen up. That's how Jesus would address. Men of Judea and all those who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Woo. I wonder if Andrew was like, okay, Peter's preaching. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. I love that. Peter's like, well, I mean, it's not that we weren't, but it's only the third hour. You guys know that. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Peter starts preaching the Old Testament. And in those last days, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. You mean ladies are going to get the Holy Spirit too? I'm going to pour it out. And they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in, uh, in the heavens and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Preach it, Peter. Woo, where did that fisherman get that? Jesus. He changed the game. People come to me and say, you know, I want to be an encouragement to people in a time period that's very discouraging. But how do I put legs on that? Well, I promise you at the end of each sermon, I just wanted to give you some practical things you can do. You ever hear a rocket, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, Do you desire to be a game changer for somebody or are you all about yourself? That's my first question for you. But is there somebody you can invest into? Hey, stud athlete, is there a younger kid you could hang out with? Hey, well-spoken young lady, is there a little girl who could get some more time from you? Hey, senior saint, life's not over. Is there somebody you could invest in? Hey, dad out there, you're not too busy. Just take them with you. Who could you invest into? Jesus was a game changer. And I pray you might want to be a game changer too. So I want to give you 10 things here as we close 
that can possibly do help somebody else prepare to launch. I know. I know it's, it's towards the end of the sermon. We've handled a lot. But just right now, if God might be leading you to say, I want to make a difference in someone else's life, count down with me, all right? 10, do life with them. Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Stop worrying about, I gotta go, I don't know how to model to people. Just invite them along with you. Invite them along with you. You know how I learned to do visitation in hospital rooms? By riding in Robin Heller's car to hospital rooms. Just take them with you. Jesus did life with them. Light their fire. What do I mean by that? Jesus called to Peter. He said, I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. Peter, I can tell you're a fisherman. I'm gonna light the fire that I see God called in your life. Every one of your children's mom and dad have different fires, different things that they're passionate about. Encourage that. Light that fire. Sports, building something, music, writing, designing, whatever it is. Go, I see a fire in you and I wanna help stoke it. This is what coaches do. I see what your strengths are. I wanna stoke it. Eight, cast a together vision. Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus was going to use Peter. There is nothing more invigorating than someone coming up to you and going, you know what we could do together? Not, hey, you know what you should do? You ever get that? Hey, you know what you should be doing? Yeah. What? Hey, you know what we could do together? What? I mean, it's so invigorating. The coolest text I ever got from my college son was a picture of a school who had just offered him something. He was thinking about maybe I would go there. And this is what he said on the text. He said, Dad, imagine us pitching there. Us? I haven't seen you in a month. I haven't thrown a ball ever. It's terrible. Us? because I'm with him on that mount. Cast a together vision with somebody. There's nothing more cooler than that. 17-year-old girl walking up to an 11-year-old, hey, you know what you and I could do together? <laughs> Change the world? I gotta move. Seven, be their inspiration. Be someone's inspiration. You know, every time I preach a message, if my dad sees me right after the message, he goes, good job, buddy. Good job, buddy. Now, if you said that to me, I feel demeaning. Hey, good job, buddy. <laughs> okay, but my dad's saying it's like, even if I did a terrible job, good job, buddy. Sadly, parents, sometimes they get in the car and we tell them what they didn't do well. Maybe sometimes they just need good job, buddy. Good girl, way to go. Be their inspiration. Clarify the wins. So oftentimes we don't set clear expectations with people we wanna launch. And so they feel like they're failing all of a sudden. Hey, that was a win. You know, I don't care that you won the game. I care that you were a good sport the whole game. I had a great commission, Jesus says for you, Peter, and I want you to win. Five, teach discernment. He said, Peter, before the rooster crows, Jesus was constantly saying, watch out for this, watch out for this, watch out for this. When you're investing into somebody, you go, hey, guard yourself from this. Young people, do not fall into this folly okay, that people who tell you that this is not good or, or this or things are, are, are people you don't want on your team. The people who are willing to tell you the stuff that they know you aren't gonna like, those are the people you need around you. You need those people, the people who tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. You can find anybody to give you the pulpit for what you wanna hear. 
Get people around you who tell you what you need to hear. Four, confront the attitudes. Get thee behind me. He saw an attitude building in Peter, and he confronted the attitude so many times, especially as parents, we can punish the behavior. But if we could catch the attitude, we wouldn't have gotten to the behavior. Confront attitudes. Let them fail. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. We live in a day and age where we don't want to let anybody fail, and it's very hard to let them fail, but let them fail. But when they fail, offer endless grace, endless grace. Peter came out and he fell, and Jesus didn't come out to him and go, I told you so, you idiot. And so often when young people fail or somebody you're investing into fails, they go, I want to tell them they're going to kill me. People run to grace. If they can't find it with you, they'll find it with someone else. And that grace might not be grace, it might be license. And then all of a sudden, your children aren't coming to you. They're going to somebody who's gonna tell them what they wanna hear and not what they need to hear. Be that voice of grace. Jesus goes, come here, <clears throat> rips them up. You invest into somebody, sometimes you just gotta pull them out when they fail, but let them go down sometimes. Bring them back up and offer them grace. And then finally, empower their effort. There's nothing cooler. I hear, I hear so many times people say, oh, I don't wanna spoil them. Do you have any idea how much God has spoiled you? <laughs> and he says, if your earthly fathers know how to give you good gifts, how much more do I do? Empower them. Prepare them to launch. Help them out. There's been people that have helped me along the way. And so I want to close with this. Thank you for giving me an extra few minutes. I want you to consider how you can stir one another up to love and good deeds. Especially as you see the day approaching. Encourage them. Who has been a game changer for you? Hey, college student, anybody ever write a check for your college bill? How often have you thanked them? Hey, teenager. Anybody pay or drive you 400 miles for your athletic events? Thank them. Hey, senior, any volunteer going out of their way for you right now, just going out of their way for you, thank them. They're game changers. You got anybody in your life who believed in you when you didn't believe in yourself? Go find a way to thank them this week. And then I got an encouragement for you. Go be somebody's game changer. Stop thinking about yourself and go, who could I change the game for? With the resources I have, with the knowledge I have, and with the wisdom I have, who could I invest into? Heavenly Father, thank you for being our game changer. Thank you for using us when we didn't deserve it. While I was yet a sinner, you died for me, so I didn't arrive. You called me the failure I was. You made me your child. I responded to, to the age of six. I called upon the name of the Lord and I came to know Christ as my savior. I was baptized by the Holy Spirit and he has been my helper my whole life. Even though many times, Lord, I've walked the wrong way. I've thought a wrong thing or I've said something I shouldn't have. But each step along the way, you've always been there for me. Despite my behavior, despite my attitudes, and that's why you're my game changer. And you say, Chris, would you just love people the way I love you? And for some reason, I stop or I don't follow through on that. And I think only about myself. Lord, today, inspire your church to be game changers as you change the game for us.
Lord, if there's anybody sitting in that seat today, that couch today, and they're just struggling with loneliness, let them know that you want to be with them and may they call upon the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for never giving up on us. But Lord, thank you for changing the game. Amen.